1: Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com.
0: Hi and welcome to uh, the Bike Radar podcast and this is one of the infrequent, frequent um, Bike Radar meets. And today we're talking to John Cordova from Specialized. Now John is a product manager that looks after um the road and gravel side of things. So by product manager, that means that he sets the vision up about new bikes. Um, He will do the research into the goals that they want of those bikes, and then he'll coordinate with the designers, with the engineers, with the R&D department in general, until that vision's realized into a new bike. So hi, John, how are you? I'm
1: doing great. Thank you, Warren. Thanks for having me here. Welcome all. Um, So today,
0: what I really, really want to talk about is um, Roubaix. the 2020 model was um, launched like a year ahead of time last year. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't quite seen it raced in anger as much as we should have done with the advent of uh, the COVID crisis. But I think um, it's now a really good time to just sort of dig down and see what see what Roubaix is all about uh, and some of the key elements of it, including, of course, future shock. Um, now, Roubaix has been one of Specialized's longest-standing bikes. It's, you know, more than 15 years since since the original. Um, so, what is uh, specialized aim? What 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 do you you consider the rebate to be?
1: Yeah, so I guess we can go back to the very beginnings of the Roubaix and you know, it was really Mike who had this vision uh, of back in two thousand four um, or before that. It was the fact that at that time you either had a full on road race bike or you had a touring bike that didn't feel lively, right? It did it accomplishes things, but it didn't feel like lively, like how we like to ride our road bikes. Um, And so he was the one that initially started to push, like how can we get that lively feel of a road race bike with a geometry that's suited more towards the everyday rider who is not racing and training every single day. and One doesn't have the flexibility of a pro tour racer and two, you know, once a little bit more of comfort from the bike. Um, so that, those were kind of the initial stepping stones of the rubes. Like, how do we get that more relaxed geometry and how do we get more comfort out of a road race bike?
0: Okay, so, I mean, Specialized had, had had bikes in its really early days, things like the Sequoia, which were, I guess would have been called like the traditional American century bike. You know, over here in, in the UK or in Europe, we would have called it an Audax bike. So it's kind of a lightweight, Touring bike, as it were, um, but Arubay was focused to be a little bit more sportier than 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 that. Yeah. It was, yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah, it was it was it was more of a performance-minded uh, person or rider.
0: But even though from those earliest days, I mean, it was still a bike built built to race. Yeah, I mean, it it debuted at Perry Bay 2005.
1: Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So so yeah, yeah, so it was still with, and like I said, it was, it was built with performance in mind. Right. It's like. Um you know, our goal was still to be uh, faster. And, you know, we did believe, at that point, started believing that uh, smoother is faster. And um, we started building around that.
0: Right. So in, in those in those early days, um, that was, you know, quite early on in, in carbon fiber technology as well. So uh, were you looking at, at the way that you could manipulate carbon fiber that couldn't have been done in aluminum to, to get that to... Get that smooth.
1: The so the Rubé was actually our first uh, car, full carbon road bike that we ever made, um, and that was part of the 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 goal of it. Is like okay, we're going to move away from from aluminum, and you know we're going to use this new technology that's going to help us uh, change the the design of the tubes to perform how we wanted them. And one of the goals was how do we dampen vibrations, you know, that we're feeling. You know, at the time everyone was riding. 19 and 21 and 23 seat tires at the biggest and pumping them to 110 psi and we needed to find a way to dampen those vibrations that we knew were fatiguing
0: and and then on on from that is where i think you you move beyond carbon fiber and you started to look at um additions that you can make to the bike to to improve that kind of damping and smoothing quality and and that was zerts i mean i guess and so if you can just you know yeah, if you could, if you can explain to explain to our, our listeners what exactly zerk was for those that might not have
1: yeah. been around at the time. So uh, <laughs> zerk was an elastomer that was placed at both the chain stays and the fork. And what we did with these elastomers is that it dampened the the vibration. So think of it as a a rubber piece. Um, and what it's doing is as the vibrations are running up the chainstays going towards the seapos and into the saddle, these elastomers in the middle of the chainstays would take up some of those vibrations. That way you would feel less vibrations. Uh, same thing on the fork, the elastomers would dampen some of those vibrations going up the fork and into your hands.
0: Right. I mean, inserts was was phenomenally successful in, in competition, you know, booting one-on-two Zertz-equipped bikes and Cancellara one as well on a dessert spike?
1: It was uh, it was very successful, you know. And you know when we designed the 2017 Roubaix, and that's kind of when we went away from desserts. It was um, it was a big departure for us, and it was actually really hard of a des- decision to make for us because it had been so successful.
0: I mean, I guess the you know that's that's where um, I sort of guess the. the the design work comes full circle. It's it's the 2017 bike, you know. And I think around that time for Specialized, you put a huge amount of investment into into big um, R and D. You know, you you had like the wind tunnel coming online. You you're, you expanded your kind of composites research thing. You partnered with McLaren as well with um, with, with with some uh, I guess kind of test rig or or data capturing.
1: Yeah, well, and, and equipment yeah and so that was the the partnership we we had with McLaren. Um, we We knew we wanted to get some uh, more dampening out of the or more um, uh, vibration isolation from from the bike. Um, at this point, wheels and tires had evolved. Uh, people were riding now uh, up to twenty eight seat tires. Um, wheels had improved vastly, so that were taking a lot of those vibrations that we were taking with with the future. I mean, with the um, with the Zerts. and so during our partnership with McLaren, we went to them and asked them, "What is the most efficient way to?" To have uh, essentially suspension on the bike, what is the most efficient way to to go over an obstacle faster and smoother? And you know, McLaren they have uh, a lot of tools at their disposal, and that's some of the stuff that we learn from them. And um, they have uh, you know you all see it F one simulators where. They put certain courses on on a computer, and the computer will spit out what kind of settings they put in their F1 car that will be fastest on that course, just by changing the suspension, the tire pressure, the aerodynamics of the car. And we did the same thing with the bike, you know, with the help of, of their simulator. We wanted to know in uh, various different courses, what could we do? to make the, the bike faster and smoother. And the computer simulator McLaren came back to us and told us, well, the best way to do this is by having axial compliance. And so axial compliance means that the front axle moves upward and downwards as they encounter a bump. Whereas before we had a uh, splay compliance where the axle will move backwards and forwards and while that gave us some compliance. It was not the fastest way on on a on a course or on, on the road.
0: So if we're taking that that axial compliance thing, I mean, um it, if you relate it um if you relate it to, to to say Formula One, you know, Formula One cars aren't exactly known for having suspension travel, you know, like we consider on a on a, a mountain bike, say, for instance, which obviously you guys are are experts in as well. You know, the suspension on a Formula One car isn't about providing big hit compliance is it? it's about traction you know it's it's about controlling the the chassis so that is that's what you were aiming to do with the with future
1: shock yeah we were aiming well it, in in all honesty our, our, our main goal was to um, create speed and um, and more comfort out of it that was the the initial goal It's like how do we make the most efficient bike and then when during our study, we found out that we actually got a lot more traction, meaning riders were able to take different lines on a given course or were able to enter and exit the corners a lot faster than they did on a non future shock bike
0: uh, and I guess that's a lot of that's down to the, the position of where you put the the suspension unit uh, uh, to make that travel because if you've just gone down the kind of traditional Way that that say a mountain bike telescopic fork works. You know, all of that suspension is is underneath the head tube, so you're suspending bike and rider. With the Roubaix, it's about suspending the rider.
1: Correct. Yeah. So Uh, the the Roubaix the our our theory our ideas that we wanted to suspend the rider. We we did try uh, early on, and I don't remember if if you um if you remember some of the prototypes that we showed where we had. A fork essentially with uh, inverted uh cabo gobbler C post. Um yeah. so those were some early prototypes of us trying to gain I some... mean
0: you even had a fork with um I think I can remember Chris Delicio showing me a fork with a which it effectively had like an epic brain shock system on it, you know. So it had that that kind of, you know, it looked incredibly complex and you wonder how that would have ever, ever have got to market, sort of thing. It's
1: yeah, so some some of the things that we kind of tried on early on, we we were definitely chasing um, that actual compliance. We were chasing that wheel moving up and down, um, but it came uh, at a a big disadvantage. the The fact that we ride road bikes because of how efficient they are, you know, how well they they transfer power. But, you know, all of us that ride road bikes, as soon as you put a pedal stroke down, all that power goes into the drivetrain and into the wheels, and you know, you get acceleration. Well, with suspension underneath the bike, or yeah, underneath the bike, whenever you put power down, that suspension is taking away a lot of the energy. And all of you at home can try this on your next ride. If you have a mountain bike, go on your mountain bike. And if you're, if you're able to take your hands off your handlebars and pedal and just notice what the fork does, you know, you're not touching the handlebars and you're pedaling and that motion of your leg pushing down on the pedal, is going to compress the fork. And so we didn't want that on, on our bikes. We wanted to have that rigidity that we have of a road bike. And that's where we ended up with the future shock above the the head tube.
0: I mean the the 2017 bike again was um uh you know wonderfully successful bike you know uh, and it did exactly what you you guys had set out to do you know we were we were impressed enough with it to make it you know bike of the year on on that launch year um but you've kind of moved on from that one quite quickly with the 2020 model um you know i don't know whether it's this sort of accelerated the the cycle of it but um it 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 kind of seemed to me that that after the launch of that Future Shock equipped Rubay, you then brought you know, one of your, your first forays into high-performance gravel into the market with the Diverge equipped with Future Shock. Now, the Diverge was such a great bike. I think lots of people were thinking, I could just buy that, and it would do me on the road, and it would do off-road. So, I mean, did you basically end up cannibalizing your own sales? Because the Roubaix, again, was such a versatile bike. I mean, I remember that original Rubay. you know, I was using that on gravel rides and things just because it was it was capable.
1: Yeah, you know, the the Rubei was a very interesting project. Uh, That was my first full project being part of the road team. And it was interesting because we were learning as we were going. You know, like we knew what we wanted to get out of of the bike and we knew that we wanted to have uh, some sort of suspension, but we just didn't know how to get there. And we had a a timeline of when we wanted to deliver a, a new bike and so you know we learned a lot uh, along the way but during the process we also felt like okay we could have done this a little bit different we could have done this this way here instead um and so we just kept all those things in kind of our, our back pocket of the things we could have done better and Part of the reason why we we came out with the twenty Roubaix uh, shortly afterwards, so we had done already so much work, and um, there were so many things that w- we knew we could do better uh, on the next one. Um, but like you said, the twenty seventeen bike was it is an amazing road bike still.
0: So I mean, on the twenty twenty bike, you brought so much more to the to the table, really, and it kind of almost went back to that. Um, that golden the golden years when the Roubaix was winning Roubaix every year, sort of thing. It, it became much more racy. You know, the geometry kind of had a bit more of a shift towards tarmac and venge. Um, it still had a little bit more stack and slightly shorter reach, but it it felt gen, genuinely more more of an aggressive bike, more of a racier proposition. And also, you know, because of the, your your sort of now years and years of of R and D work, especially with the you know things like composites and the wind tunnel. You'd make the bike so much more aerodynamic, which I don't think many people have considered. On a kind of endurance bike, was was a big thing. You'd made it lighter. You know, it, it, what brought about all those those kind of you know big changes?
1: So that was uh, a lot of the partnership with Quickstep, um, with the kind of Quickstep. Um The riders they they appreciated the future shock. They appreciated the the drop clamp seat, uh, on the seat tube. Um, they appreciated the bike's performance, but they felt that uh, that if they wanted to to have the best cobbles bike, it needed some work, um, you know. And at this point, they had been riding the Tarmac SL6 that is out on market right now. Um, you know, they've been riding the rim brake version of that for a while, and they were kind of. Um, saying, you know, the the Roubaix feels uh, a lot slower. I think the future shock is slowing us down. And so we had to go back to do a lot of research as to, okay, is, is the future shock really the the issue here that's slowing them down? Or is it something else? And, you know, we did a lot of metabolic and efficiency tests um, with the help of our retool team. And we found out that, the future shock fully open. So without the, the damper adjuster, it actually was as efficient as a, a fully rigid bike. When it comes to metabolic, uh, it doesn't steal anything away. It doesn't steal power away, but it does have kind of a, a, a mental aspect of it, right? It's like if our of livelihood or paycheck depends on, on a race and... Mentally, we feel like something, it's moving and taking away some of our energy, you know, that's going to play into it. Um, So that's part of the design of the Future Shock 2.0, which we'll get into later. But then as to the performance or the bike feeling faster or slower, the 2017 Roubaix, we didn't touch it in the wind tunnel. That was not an an, uh, objective of the bike. Um, so it was definitely a lot slower than than the tarmac. Um, so with kick we kicking off the design of the M Y the two thousand twenty Roubaix, we decided to have uh, aerodynamics as a big priority of the project.
0: I mean, and in, in, in terms of aerodynamics, um, it's right to say that the, the two thousand twenty Roubaix is.
1: As a aerodynamic, or more aerodynamic than the original Venge? It's it, it's uh, it's more aero than the original Venge. Uh, it's more aero than the tarmac.
0: Wow! I mean, that's a hell of an achievement for a you know a bike that's considered to be an in- endurance machine.
1: It's huge. You know, it, it's it, what's funny is the um, you know a lot of times we develop kind of uh, we, we stagger the development of bikes. And so the whole product team sits kind of next to each other. And so I sit next to the guy who manages the the Venge. And at the time, they were pretty far along on the Venge. Um, And one of the different iterations, they decided the down tube of the Venge needed to change to, to look different. And so in talking to the product manager... I asked them what kind of things they had learned. And we found out that, you know, this down tube that they didn't decide to use, down tube shape, um, was, was kind of what we were looking for. It, it was lightweight tube and, and it was aerodynamic and it comes from the free-for-all library. So we decided to use that on the down tube of the Roubaix. So the down tube that the Roubaix has today came from the development of the Venge. Um, so that's where a lot of the aerodynamics come from, is from that study on, on the Venge.
0: Right. Because I mean, you, you mentioned there the um, your your tube, tube-shaped library. Um, and I think the last time that I, I came over to see you guys when um, around the, the launch of the latest TARMAC, um, I, I was seeing some of that in action where you almost have this kind of a building block kit where you can you know, you can almost construct frames from from pieces and then, you know, that's adjo- you know, adjacent to the wind tunnel and you can go in and, and check that. I mean, how how valuable a tool has that been in, in development? I mean, is it, how much has it speeded up? Uh,
1: it's and huge. Kind of it, development time. Yeah, I mean, that, that speeds it up uh, really big. Um, you know, before we would do a shape and then go try it in the wind tunnel and then come back and do another shape and try that in the wind tunnel, uh, with now with the free library, like we have all these tube shapes that the computer's telling us, like, this is the most efficient for what you're trying to do. And then we go validate it in the wind tunnel and we just like go take all those shapes um, already. So it, it it helps us a lot. And so, so if you move on
0: from the, from the aerodynamics, you know, the other big change on, on the 2020 bike is, is a, a second generation future shock. You know, what, what had uh, what did you look to change in, in, in the development of that?
1: Yeah. Um, so this came again from our partnership with, with the quick step team and with our pro racers. And if you've ever been at Roubaix or even watch Roubaix on, on TV, like you notice that that race is, is pretty magical. There's fighting for position the whole time. Right. And, um, They're going from smooth pavement to cobbles. There's only about 60 kilometers of cobbles and the other 240 kilometers are are of pavement. Um, So the change dynamics are changing constantly and they're wanting something that can adapt to those different conditions, right? So when they're going to enter a cobble sector, they want to make sure they have the suspension open so it's helps them go smoother over the cobbles. As soon as that cobble sector is done, they want to go back to a firm setting so that way they're on smooth pavement and they can accelerate because those guys are accelerating going into the cobbles and accelerating coming out of the cobbles. So that's where some of the the drive came from. Uh, So we had been working on on that Future Shock for quite a long time. And um, it was actually on Peter Sagan's winning Roubaix bike the previous year on the old platform
0: so you effectively got a shop there that you can you can dial down you know uh, Matt, Matt and Buck Roses will be familiar with the you know the idea of having a lockout but this is a, a sort of you know it's like a semi lockout I mean it's still active but it, it totally firms it up is that
1: yeah it, it firms it up and you know we we did that for kind of a, a few reasons like um, one we don't want to have a full lockout because energy still has to go somewhere so it's one. It's it's not going to be good for the future shock to to have it locked out as you're going, you know, forty k an hour into cobbles uh, in the long term. And two, it's not going to be good for your body either to think that you're you have a future shock and all of a sudden you forget. Like how many of us in the early days of, of mountain bikes forgot to unlock it going a suspension for going into a downhill mountain bike, right? So. um we want to make sure that it's still somewhat active, but it's pretty firm if you're riding on pavement. Um you won't feel it moving at all.
0: Right. And so the the Rubai gets the, the the 2.0 version of Future Shock with that that adjusting dial. Um uh, the higher end diverges get it as well. Are there differences you've, you've introduced between the two? Are there spring rates different?
1: or No, same spring rates. Um, now with the adjustability, um, we, we kept the same spring rates. Um, so the spring rates that we had in the past where people would change the booster springs, um, yeah. those were more set for uh, riding conditions. Um, now with the Future Shock 2.0, uh, we feel very confident that the the one setting is is good for both pavement and off road, and so,
0: Future Shock. You've still got the the one point five, which is kind of a revamped version of the one, and that's gone into you know some of your city bikes and and e bikes, you know, and things like that. So, do you see Future Shock as a as a something you can continue to roll out across multiple platforms?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think we'll continue to to push it out to some of the other bikes that obviously make sense. And, you know, uh, one question I get asked often is like, how did it get onto the Cirrus? Like, why is the future talking to Cirrus? And practically it's just like the, the working environment at Specialized, you know, at the time we were working on Roubaix, the Chad, the, the product manager for Cirrus saw the prototype and he's like, hey, can I take one of those out for the weekend? And he came back on Mondays like, okay, that has to go. The Future Shock has to go on on a series. And it's kind of mm. the, the way we work. So like wherever it makes sense, like, yeah, we'll we'll explore it and and, and put the, the product on there.
0: Future future shock on the on the rebate, especially is designed to work in conjunction with with the back end where you you know you've massively dropped where the C seat, the post clamps. And then a special construction of that that seat post. It's not like the CGI which was on the original which had the kind of zigzag head with, with a kind of carryover sort of elastomer in there, a bit like zerts. Now now it's just a it, well, it's an aero seat post, but but it, a lot of it exposed, and there's a lot of almost controlled movement in there. Do you do you see yourselves sort of introducing any kind of more mechanical functionality at the back, of, you know, a similar kind of a, a rear future shock, as it were?
1: We tried actually. Um, we have a we have some prototypes made where we essentially put a, a future shock to a seat post. Um, so there's a couple of ways of doing that. Um, the easiest way is just telescopic going up and down. Um, what we found there is that it changes the knee angle a lot to go up and down, um, and it it doesn't uh you know it doesn't perform well it just feels like you're falling out of a trapdoor as soon as you hit something right it's like your saddle height changing all the time um so and we tried it in various other ways um but it just didn't perform as well as the the Pave c with the drop clamp
0: and so i mean i guess you know the, the thing is uh so where do you where do, where does it go from here? Where where does Rubey and where does Future Shock go from here? You know is is Roubaix, um Do you see it getting more aero, lighter again? It's still, you know, it fully embracing the kind of racing position it, it's now in. And, and Future Shock, I mean, you know, you've brought in this kind of, well, you've brought in the adjuster, you know, mounted onto the onto the top cap. I mean. With with everything now being, you know, we're in the we're in the world of everything being connected and the internet of things. Could you could you see that being controlled electronically? You know, so save the rider having to take his hand from the bar, sort of thing?
1: Uh in the in the dream world that that would be that would be pretty cool to see. Um, so right now we're we're looking and seeing where where riding's going. Obviously, uh, it keeps on evolving. Like, you know, ten years ago, uh, I don't think any of us would have imagined that uh, gravel would have been, uh, been so adapted as it is right now. Um, but yeah, right now we're, we're seeing where things are going. We're enjoying the success that Roubaix has had in, in the racing. Um, and obviously we're always taking feedback from riders to see what can we improve on the bike. So I think we've been... Um...
0: We've we've drilled down as much as we can through through Roubaix and Future Shop. There, I guess, finally, I just sort of say, you know, if you could, uh, if you could simplify it into into one sentence to the to the listeners, what what would be the key performance message or benefit of Roubaix over you know any other bikes that are out there, even bikes in your own ranges?
1: Uh, I would say the Roubaix is the most confidence inspiring road bike we ever make that sounds like a really good way to end thanks very much for your time john um i'm sure we'll speak
0: soon once you uh start talking about whatever new we've got coming soon absolutely
1: thank you for listening to the bike radar podcast if you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling check out bikeradar.com